Chapter One of Just As I Am. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Just As I Am by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter One Every Dog Has His Day. An autumn evening, with a biting north wind and the sun going down redly behind the oaks of Blatchmarden Park. A winding road, with a coppice on one side and a steep bank topped by a straggling hedge where the blackberry leaves are still green while the hips and haws offer a feast for the birds, on the other. A desolate bit of road, remote from human habitation. No glimmer of fire-lit cottage window in the distance, no grey smoke-wreaths curling up above the wood. It's only a mile and a quarter from here to the village of Osthorpe, yet the belated traveller might fancy himself far from all possibility of shelter. A solitary figure cowering under the hedge, with a vagabond dog crouching close at its side, enhances rather than lessens the solitude of the scene. There is something desolate and dreary in that gaunt figure, clad in an old smock-frock, patched with such various shades of stuff as almost to rival Joseph's coat of many colours. The wayfarer is elderly and grim-looking. He has long, grizzled hair and a weather-beaten complexion hollow cheeks and haggard eyes. Every line in his rugged face tells of privation that has gone near to famine. The dog has the same gaunt frame and hungry look as he sits watching his master gnawing a mouldy crust which he has just extracted from the blue cotton handkerchief that holds all his worldly gear. The hungry master gnaws and the hungry mongrel envies, wagging his poor stump of a tail ever and anon in mute supplication once or twice bursting into a tremulous whine. His owner looks at him dubiously, out of a corner of his eye, and at last, with a reluctant air, relinquishes his grip on the crust and tosses the remaining fragment to the cur. "'A bite for him and a bite for me,' growls the vagabond. "'There ain't a jail in England where I shouldn't get a better supper than I can get as a free man. "'Liberty's sweet,' says some folks. "'Not for starving stomachs,' says I. Liberty's bitter when it only means you're free to starve and rot as we are, hey, Tim? Tim stands on end and licks the wanderer's face. It is only a dog's tongue, but the most loving salute Humphrey Vargas is likely to get in this life. Vargas picks himself up stiffly, for he is sixty years old and tired and footsore, from the bank where he has been sitting on a cushion of fallen leaves, and begins to look about him in the grey dusk. "'Why, if it ain't the blessed spot!' he exclaims. "'There's the pollard oak, and the pool just inside the edge, "'and there's the path across the copse yonder to Blatchmarden. "'No mistake about it, this is the spot. Twenty year ago to-day, twenty year ago, "'and it all comes back to me as if it was yesterday. "'I'm not much of a one to remember days and years.' But I shall never forget that day, nor that year, nor this place. He clambered up the bank, and looked about him, peering through the dusk across the meadows yonder, with their tangled hedges and tall timber, an old-fashioned, picturesque landscape, neither improved nor disfigured by high farming. On the other side of the narrow road, for this village of Osthorpe was off the King's Highway, a hamlet approached by rustic lanes, there was only the mysterious darkness of the wood. "'I know that there pollarded oak, and I can swear to that there bit of water,' said Vargas. 
I've seen the place too often in my dreams to forget it when I'm awake. And now, come on, Tim. You and me are going to sleep under a roof tonight. Lad, though I don't know about you, maybe they'll refuse to take you in, old chap. But we'll try to work it. We'll try to work it, Tim. He shouldered his stick and trudged on resolutely. Hardly over a mile, he muttered to himself. I can do that. The dog crawled by his side, dead lame. Vargas would have been lamer than the cur, but for that power of will which made the man a little higher than the dog. The lane was lonely enough for the first half-mile. Then came a solitary cottage on a knoll above the roadway, with its row of beehives against the darkling sky, and its cheerful fire-glow shining across the lane. Then a couple of cottages together, little better than hovels, but suggestive of warmth and comfort to the wanderer who had no shelter. Then more cottages, four in a row, substantial, respectable dwellings, with a century-old date upon their rough-cast front, latticed casements, sloping thatched roofs, with a dormer window in each that looked like an eye under a penthouse brow. Here again was the comfortable fire-glow shining through lattice and half-open door, a glimpse of rustic luxury inside, a neatly swept hearth, a singing kettle, a little round table with cups and saucers, all twinkling in the firelight, and a big brown loaf. Far away, at the end of a long lane of vanished years, Vargas saw the picture of just such a cottage interior, and himself coming home to it, a respectable member of society, earning his sixteen shillings a week manfully, and keeping a wife and five children. He remembered the flaxen heads and rosy cheeks in the ruddy light of the wood fire, the snugness of the cottage at sixpence a week, with a patch of potato ground and half a dozen apple trees behind it. Was that contented, respectable chap me? he asked himself wonderingly. Here are the lights of Osthorpe, not many or brilliant, a feeble ray from the village shop, a glimmer in the schoolhouse windows, a cheery light shining through the red curtain at the sugar-loaves inn, where three wooden sugar-loaves, pendant from a signpost in the road, are swinging in the north-east wind. A light yonder, from the lodge window by the gate of Fairview, Sir Everard Courtney's place. Vargas stood and looked up and down the village street, if that could be called a street which was verily a wide open road, with a farmhouse on one side, a few scattered cottages on the other, further on a pond, and a half-dozen more cottages, culminating in a shop at a corner opposite the schoolhouse, and beyond that, facing down the road, which here turned off at a sharp angle, the village inn, with its three sugar-loaves groaning and creaking in the wind. The church, an old stone barn, which looked as if it had been begun without any definite idea, and abandoned by an architect who didn't know how to finish it, stood apart in the midst of fields, and had altogether an accidental air. Vargas knew the place as well as he knew himself, though it was twenty years to-night since he had set foot on that quiet road. He saw that an old cottage or two which he remembered had tumbled down or disappeared somehow, and that a couple of new cottages had been built. He saw the sugar-loaves swinging, as they had swung above his head many a time, on summer evenings when he had stood among the village quidnuncs, settling the fates of empires. The red curtain had faded a little, perhaps. There was a stout limb lopped from one of the three tall poplars. But the old house had the same air of thrift and prosperity as of yore. 
Humphrey Vargas explored the bottom of his breeches pocket with careful fingers in the faint hope of finding a forgotten penny. But those pockets were positively empty. There was no delusion. Bite nor sup, save from charity or official relief, was not for Humphrey tonight. I'll do it, he muttered to himself between his set teeth. It's the last move left to me. I shall be locked up for life, but I shall have bread to eat and a roof to cover me, and my poor old bones won't ache as they ache tonight. Yes, he ejaculated with an oath, I'll do it. He went as far as the sugar loaves, crept close up to the window, and peeped in through a crack in the crimson curtain. A man was sitting by the fire smoking a long clay pipe. Two more sat apart at a table drinking beer. A creature who looked little better than a tramp lay asleep, stretched full length upon a bench by the whitewashed wall, but an empty plate and mug on the table beside him showed that he had patronised the house before he took his rest, and a well-filled bundle, which served as a pillow for his tousled head, indicated his claim to be considered a respectable member of society. The picture, humble as it was, a sanded floor, deal tables, kitchen fireplace, filled Vargas with envy. He went in at the open door. The landlord was sitting in his snug bar, reading yesterday's paper. "'Who's the magistrate hereabouts, mate?' asked Vargas. Oh, "'You'd better keep out of his way,' answered the landlord. "'He's a mark on tramps.' "'Just you keep your advice till you're asked for it,' growled Vargas. "'I want to know the magistrate's name and where I can find him. That's all I want.' Oh, "'I suppose you're going to give yourself in charge,' said the landlord, ironically. "'I am.' "'Oh, you'd better go and tell that to the Marines, my friend. "'Our magistrate is Sir Everard Courtney, the owner of Fairview. "'You'll see the lodge-gate at the end of the street. "'There isn't a finer gentleman in the county, "'nor one that's kinder to his tenants and servants. "'But he's as hard as nails when it comes to such cattle as you.' "'I ain't afraid of him,' answered Vargas. "'Or, I say, landlord, do you happen to know anyone as wants a dog?' Oh, "'That depends on circumstances. "'If the dog's a good bredden, handsome and well-educated, "'and to be had for nothing, I might find you a customer.' "'Well, the dog ain't handsome, but he's as true as steel,' replied Vargas. "'And you may have him for—' He was going to say for nothing, but changed his mind. For a mug of beer. And here he held Timothy aloft by the scruff of his neck, and exhibited the cur to the landlord and a friendly lounger. They both saluted Tim's perfections with a loud guffaw. Oh, thank you, said the landlord. I appreciate the offer, but my conscience wouldn't let me rob you of such a valuable specimen. Uh, keep him against the next dog show. Or perhaps the Prince of Wales might like to continue the breed. Oh, you may chaff, growled Vargas, but you don't know what you're refusing. There never was such a dog for sense and affection. He's the best house dog in England. Did you ever try him? asked the lounger, who considered himself the village wit. Had you ever a house? Oh, yes, snapped Vargas, but not so big a one as you ought to occupy. Oh, indeed. The county asylum's about the fit for you, seeing that nature has entitled you to a place in the idiot ward. 
oh thank you said the lounger with an air of saying something crushing if i was the editor of a comic paper i should ask you to communicate again then you won't have the dog landlord pleaded vargas with a piteous look first at tim and then at the prosperous overfed host not unless i had him stuffed for a scarecrow said the landlord so now my man you'd better sheer off customers of your quality ain't in request at the sugar-loaves their favours is not solicited the man uttered a curse and turned on his heel better in jail than out for such as me better underground than above it he crawled slowly back again by the way he had come to the other end of the village End of chapter 1